Hello and welcome back to series two of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental well-being. Each episode I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast I'm joined by Millie Abrams who is the owner of Tribe Yarns, a yarn shop in Richmond, London. Millie has a qualification in applied colour psychology, so I particularly wanted to ask her more about this and about how colour can impact our mental health. Unfortunately, there is a crackle on Millie's end of the audio, which we were unable to resolve while we were recording. However, Millie is such an inspiring and interesting guest that I'm sure you'll still really enjoy this interview. Hi, Millie. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Um, I always start by asking where your story with knitting began. Okay, that's a relatively easy one, I guess. I was about six or seven years old when I started knitting. Um, My mum used to knit and she introduced it to me over a summer holiday. um, And I pretty much got addicted straight away. And I was the sort of child that never really sat down never you know I was always a bit ants ants in my pants and climbing mm-hmm. trees and that kind of thing and um so I guess it was a, as much of a surprise to her as it was to me that um that I loved it and I got obsessed and I ended up blowing out all of my um play dates with friends and things outside I was like no I'm at home knitting I was determined to get it to get oh, it done. wow so you absolutely yeah. went with it straight away yes yeah, straight away and to begin with at least for the first year I don't think I could purl at all. I could only knit. So, but I really liked stocking stitch. So I would knit a whole line and then I'd give it to my mum to purl, <laughs> to purl back. Okay. Again. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, yeah, I did eventually get the hang of purling, but I could only do it then for the next little while, standing up at the ironing board for some reason. I was using crappy straight needles back then. You know how we had those yeah. awful sort of aero needles that weighed a little bit too much, I guess, for my little hands are quite long. Mm. with blunt tips and I used to knit way too tight like really tightly so I used to have to use the ironing board to jam the needle into the stitch <laughs> to, oh, to wow. it. Yeah, yeah I actually had a one of the kids in the therapeutic knitting group I've been running said to me it's really surprising that grannies knit because you need so much strength to get the <laughs> stitches in and I thought I think something's going slightly wrong here because I don't feel like I'm using muscles to knit particularly. No. Well, and then back then, that would have been in the early 80s, we all well, we we knit with crappy acrylic wool. So it was really strong. I think if oh, I yeah, it's hard to break knitting, harder than wool. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If I'd have if I'd have started with a you know like a, a proper wool, had I been knitting with this, you know, with the tightness and the strength that I was applying to that acrylic, it would have broken right away and I would have realised that it was too tight. But, but I got away with it back then. Mm. Yeah. OK. Mm. And what do you think hooked you in? Because it sounds like it was a bit of a surprise if you were quite an active kid that you could sit mm. still and knit. Yeah, I think it was. Well, it was definitely the challenge of it. Um but it, I did feel it was very calming, the repetitive stitches. Mm. It just, and there was something about making and creating and then being able to make your own creative choices. So it wasn't as though, you know, you were, it was a bit like Lego where you could sort of go your own way with it and, it, yeah. and you could spend hours and hours and hours doing it and it just felt good. 
Mm. So yeah, I think it was that. And then right away I got into like right away, I started knitting colour work and intarsia and that kind of thing because that was very early 80s. So, so you were um, knitting because that's what I wondered whether you were knitting from patterns or whether you were just kind of knitting scarves. Uh, yeah, no, I never did scarves in the beginning. I just did lots of just patches of things. Okay. And then I made stuff for dolls, you know, just little things. And they wouldn't have fit particularly well. Um, but and I did you kind patterns. of made those up as you went along rather than following a little a bit, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, so I might have had a pattern that had a, a chart for some sort of fair motif and I would have just used that to to make some random little thing for a doll or teddy bear jumper or something like that. Um, and it's not that I, you know, I didn't play with teddy bears or anything back then, but I just wanted to make little things. Mm. Um, and I don't think I had enough yarn to make a big sweater. Then eventually my mum took me to John Lewis and we picked out a pattern. And that was the patchwork in Tarsia and Fairwild Cardigan. It was very complicated, but I decided I was going to make that. And then by the, by the time I'd finished it, I could barely get it on because I was such a tight knitter. It was mm. so small. <laughs> And, and I hadn't appreciated that you had to leave a long enough end to darn the ends in. So oh. they'd started to pull out. So I start, I super glued them down, which, which made it really jabby on oh. the inside. It was terrible. It's a horrible little thing. Um, but my mum never knit in Tarsia or Colourwork. She just used to do plain knitting and maybe a few cables. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't really advise me on that. Okay. So that was a learning process. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I guess a lot of us learn a lot of how to solve problems in knitting through trial and error I guess yeah and back then there wasn't any social media or any pressure like no. that it's not as though we were comparing ourselves to each other and no one I knew knit so it was perfectly fine for me to keep making all these mistakes and not feel like a total failure it was just mm. learning but I think also now you could if you knew what the mistake was called you could search on YouTube to how as to how to fix it I suppose yeah like when definitely. I have a a plumbing issue that I feel like might be within my beginner's realm so <laughs> you know a bit like that if you were a beginner knitter whereas that didn't exist no when I, I learned think what you say is, yeah there is so much more help you could google everything now yeah if, with plumbing and everything yeah um and back then I think we we did used to do a bit more trial and error it was either that or spend hours and hours at the library researching something we used to just try it I mean like with yeah. lots of things yeah yeah Okay, so did you carry on knitting? So you've knit the whole, like, fairly regularly since you were six or seven? Um, yeah, so that would have been 40 years ago. Um, but no, I definitely had breaks. Yeah. Um, so there were the chaotic teenage years when I, and exams and things, when I just probably wouldn't have had time. And then, well, it seems like, uh, and yeah, there were times in my life where I definitely let it go for maybe two or three years at a time. And they were probably the times when I shouldn't have let it go and should have made you know it's always the way yeah when you when you feel like you haven't got time to meditate that's when you should be meditating Mm. it's the same with knitting and then um I picked it up again like properly properly when I was pregnant with Indy Mm -hmm. so he's 18 now so that was 18 years ago and um knit every morning before I got out of it I used to get morning sickness so Darren would bring me breakfast in bed every morning and I would sit and knit while he was making breakfast and were you knitting and for Indy? Yeah, I was knitting booties, lots of booties, because I find I had this amazing book of like, I don't know, 100 booty patterns, but it had lots of different techniques in it. So I was learning something 
every day with a new knitting technique and I was getting to use different colour yarns and different fibres. I had a whole bag of them and I just worked my way through. I don't know how many booties I made. I must have made, I don't know, 30 or 40 pairs of different booties while I was pregnant for him and I made a big patchwork blanket. But then when he was born, he had enormous feet and he didn't fit any of the booties. (laughs) Have you gifted them? I gifted all of them and they all fit normal babies. Normal he had babies giant feet and only the giant duck feet fit him. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I found that I couldn't get booties to stay on my children. I don't know. What... No, they didn't all, which is kind of why I made them all. Some of them were really good patterns that stayed on and the others just would sort of fair for photos. I suppose. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So it's been on and off, but mainly on. The main yeah. certainly on for the last 18 years um yeah yeah so when Indy was born we then emigrated to Canada when he was eight months old and it was really cold there so I knit lots mm. and then um when he was seven we moved on to the boat to go circumnavigate and I did knit on the boat as mm-hmm. well um probably not as much no maybe I did I did do I did but like different fibers a lot of silk and cotton because it was hot and then we moved to the Caribbean for five years and I knit there as well but lots of lace weight blankets and that kind of thing. okay did you feel like the motivation was less or is it not really so much about the final product it's never been about the final product for me it's like it's never ever been about the final product I for my whole life have knit things and then just given them away almost immediately like I don't tend to keep any of my knits for myself and then Do since you... I've had the shop is it more for the process because obviously there is a joy to giving things to people for the point of giving a gift that uh is more meaningful but it sounds also a lot of it's about the process for you it's the process it's it's completely the process yeah if you want a desert island one ball of brown yarn that you had to re-knit over and over again you'd be knitting absolutely yes and I did I had to do that in the Caribbean all the time because we couldn't get anything shipped to us and it would take months and months so I would just knit something, rip it out, knit it again, rip wow. it out. Like I did that all the time. Mm. Yeah. So it is very much a process. Yeah. And does it matter what you knit? So um, like as in, I don't know, the techniques or could, is garter stitch equally valuable to knitting uh, lace or cables or does it matter? Um, so I think it depends. Well, it's got to be something new for me every time. So I very barely I think I never make the second sock because I've made a sock and I don't want to make another so I know I almost never make the same thing twice unless I'm changing the technique or changing something up about it so I recently knit two bedroom bloom sweaters but I changed the technique quite a lot both times just to test it out and um, the colour isn't enough of a change no no it's, it's not really change. I mean so so I knit for Color, like a lot of the time it's because of the color I want to hang out with so that will yeah. determine what I'm knitting but um it's got to be something new that I haven't experienced before it might be that I have to experience a new fiber I think it's technique more than anything though yeah and and it's weird like after 40 years of doing lots of knitting and learning all the you know, lots, I'm still discovering new techniques all the time which is brilliant that's mm. such a cool thing about knitting yeah you can't ever run out no you can't really no and and I I do knit things several times rip them out like I've just started a cardigan yesterday which I will rip out today and start again because a couple of things I thought of during the night that I should have done differently so yeah I'm fine with ripping out but no yeah so about the gifting 
yes, I do knit specifically for gifts, but no, usually I'm knitting something and then I think, oh, who 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 like this? Who who would this fit? Like who wants it? Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Okay. And I'd love to hear more about colour, because okay. I think you said you've got a qualification in colour. Applied colour psychology. Applied colour psychology. So I'd love to hear about yeah. that and your ideas about colour and how it benefits your mental well-being being around color like I like the idea of choosing a color you want to hang out with because <laughs> I think I do yeah, that with my knitting projects I have quite a long relationship with them because I'm not that fast <laughs> um yeah yeah so color's very yeah very very important and I mean I didn't know anything about I, I'm an accountant so it wasn't anything that I'd studied in the early days but I am I have an Indian background so we've always been very experimental with color mm-hmm. with, us, with our saris and things um and I, I like approaching my 40s I suppose late 30s 40s I got a bit frustrated with how sensible people were being around color and how coy they were and how how they were embarrassed about using certain colors and that kind of, you know everyone seemed to stay within if you walked down the high street a couple of years ago, all you'd see was grey, khaki, you know, maybe a little bit of mustard. Uh, so um, so I did use knitting as because I couldn't buy the colours I wanted in the shops. So I did use knitting to introduce those colours into my life, but also realised a long time ago that certain colours do certain things to my mood and, and I can use that to my advantage. So um, when I use really really uh saturated bright colors they will wake me up so I can use them in the morning to just really get going or before meeting to get energized or or something like that if I'm um if I especially during meetings so I knit through all my board meetings and things mm. I would always knit and, and I'd always pick a bright color for that because it kept me I don't know it just energized me but if would I you do that those... historically as well mm. when you didn't work in yarn and knitting yeah, absolutely. I'm guessing so you were the only person have, doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I was the only person knitting, and and it was fine. You know, I'd be knitting in me. It wasn't fine right in the beginning when I was a junior, and it would be like I'd get told off, and maybe you can just focus pretty much. Yeah. But but as I became more senior, I can tell people that actually helped me focus. So yeah. and and they all got used to it. So I'd sit in a meeting with Branson or whatever, and I'd always be knitting. But um, I I also conversely couldn't pick up those same colours and knit with them right before bed so I always knit right before bed but I can't knit the really really bright colors under a fairly bright light because they wake me up and, mm. and they don't they don't allow me to sort of gently ease down at the end of the day so so you need more than one project um, on the go for different yeah uh, situations. different different yeah different for color but also different for do I really want to escape into a very challenging pattern with lots of charts and things because I need to just not think about everything right now or do I just want something that is in my hands and tv knitting so that I can listen to whatever I'm listening to mm. that's a so. really common theme that has come up again and again and certainly something I relate very strongly to like the idea of having to have something complicated to absorb yourself in when you need to escape from real life yes. or something that you could knit while you're listening to your kids read or you're knit that doesn't require any of your brain and I certainly would knit through you know zoom meetings and training courses and have never been anything other than the only knitter <laughs> on the zoom call or, yeah um, it is yeah. weird isn't it 
yeah. I did also like I found it when Indy was little and you know when your kids are little and you have to wait all the time you've got to wait for and then to finish a sports match or whatever or you're yeah. waiting there's just a lot of waiting in life waiting with dentists waiting with things and I just found that if I always had my knitting I never really minded the way actually I quite liked the way it was a really good time for me to be like just get into my knitting and, mm. and same with that you know I travel a lot and airport delays were were pleasurable because I had my knitting with me and it just meant that I could chill out and knit and it didn't matter that the plane was delayed so, so it's been really really I don't know how people that don't knit cope I honestly don't I just don't I don't know how they manage to wait for anything I do feel like a slight anxiety I think if I have to do something like that that I don't have my knitting with me by some you know because I've had too many things to think about and it's just not made it in the bag but quite often I'll spend more like I'm going away for a weekend and getting a train somewhere the other weekend I forgot the dress I was planning to wear out in the evening but I had three knitting projects with me Mm -hmm. Uh, because that was my priorities in my head definitely definitely have you do you think I mean I don't know whether you learned about this in um the course you did about whether there are particular colors that are more associated with kind of positive or negative Mm. mood or whether it's not really like that whether different people have different uh yeah it was it's a really really interesting topic and it's huge and very deep so you know it would take hours to go over everything but I guess the main points were um the sorts of well, so there's a map, I'm very into maths, you know, maths is my background, mm-hmm. and there's a pattern, and, a, and well, there are, are patterns and wavelengths behind each colour, and c- colours, some co- colours harmonise because of the patterns um, and, the, and the waves, and some colours don't, so that was one of the things that we learnt a lot about, so, you know, I'm good at putting colours together and I'm good at avoiding certain colour combinations that are horrible. And I know that intuitively somewhat, I guess, from practising a lot, but also because of the maths behind the colour. Um, so there's that. There's the colours that people should and shouldn't wear or can't. Well, it's not really a should. It's the colours that, that suit people more and the colours that don't. So that was also part of the course. And that um, has more to do with who you are and your personality as well as your own personal colouring but a lot more to do with your personality and, and it's broken into four sort of separate groups so I think recently companies like um, House of Colour and another one have taken those and called them seasons to try mm, and organise yeah. that a little bit more and that's fine they've, they've done it completely wrong in, in a couple of ways because they've tried to make it equal across the seasons um, which is not the case right now but um, that's a whole other topic so there's that and then there's also the the behavioral aspect of of how a color will influence your mood and why you might be drawn to it and why you might not be drawn to it at a particular time so yeah so for example if you um had an orange dining plate or, or we're sitting in an in an orange room while you were eating you probably will eat more you'll overeat like it just influence it's a color of it's it opens up your mind and abundance and that kind of thing. You just tend to over, over consume with orange. Um, purple tends to be a colour that is for people that are feeling a bit less sociable at that particular time or very much more choosy. It's a colour that people are drawn to when they're hungover. Um, so it's, it, and it's not all shades of purple, but I'm, I'm generalising just mm. for, for now. 
Um, red, you know, we're very familiar with red being a little bit more aggressive, a bit more on your face, just open, just much more um, bold. And then blue is a really great one for focusing. Again, not all blues, but there are blues. So so when my, when Indy was having exams when he was younger and he used to pick up some knitting, he doesn't tend to anymore, then I would have him knit with blue yarns as a little break between study sessions because it would activate that or keep that part of his brain active but allow him to have a little break from mm. from um studying so blue is great for that so yeah yeah there are there are definitely um and I will use it like I said I'll, I'll pick up a color if I if I if I need to be really thinking and thinking spreadsheets and that kind of thing I'll pick up my blue project for a little bit mm. and just calm down with that and then go straight into my thinking piece so, so yeah. you're very deliberate about your choices of what you're knitting with for to fit the circumstances I, I mean it just life. happens now I think what I'm deliberate about is making sure that I've got enough projects yeah at hand or, or around I don't like to have more than three projects on the go because I am someone that likes to finish I, I don't tend to have yeah. lots of whips I like finishing but I do have three that are intentionally quite different from each mm. other because of what they will do for my mental health I mm. so that sounds very deliberate in that sense and I think I That's certainly yeah. would relate to that that the, my the things I'm working on have to fit different needs <laughs> yes. for me yeah but I don't actually think about the color in that way which is really interesting um mm. and actually when I spoke to Betson Corkhill who um is kind of an expert in therapeutic knitting she speaks a lot about the idea of using knitting to rather than it reflecting the mood you're in like moving it thinking about the mood you want to move yourself into and it yes, sounds exactly. very similar to your ethos yeah. yeah and and um and also you know with the finished garment um when you're wearing it it like I'll use the colors of the garments that I'm wearing to um convey a certain type of my personality in a, in a public setting or, or not so um so for example for my whole life as an accountant I very much was drawn to what people would refer to as the winter colours, like cooler colours. And they do suit me, you know, your blacks, your whites, your, your strong reds, peacock, that kind of thing. And um, and I was always really drawn to that. But it does make me much less approachable as a person. So when I opened the shop, one of the things that I talked to Angela about, who's like the guru of colour therapy, she was like, well, you know, just make sure that you're never in there wearing your blacks and your whites. Like you, this new business of mine was not like accounting. I needed to be approachable and soft mm. and I needed to sort of bring out my more autumn aspect. So I wear a lot more um, autumnal, rich autumnal colours and navies and that kind of thing, which also suit me. But I wouldn't have dreamt of wearing them as an accountant. Mm. Like I didn't want to be that person in that setting whereas I do now yeah and then conversely if I'm going to something else where I just want to do a bit more drama I'll, I'll wear black again mm. I wonder whether that was also to do with I, I'm guessing you were in a more male dominated environment when you were in business um, or yeah right in the beginning to I was, convey more power than you do in your I just needed shop. I was the, yes I needed to be much more I mean I'm quite a small woman um and I just needed to yeah just convey a bit more I just needed more help with the power that I was exuding when I was telling people no they couldn't have that money or whatever yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah sure <laughs> um I wonder whether there are other ways that we haven't talked about that you feel knitting is beneficial for your kind of mental well-being um I mean so 
I, like it's definitely one of the we get loads of people in the shop that will come by and say oh that's lovely I wish I could do that but I don't have the patience for that and I am the least patient person I've ever met in my life like I'm just not I'm not patient I'm not tolerant um and and I sort of and, and therefore knitting is even more important for me than it would be for someone who already is calm and zen and patient Mm-hmm. so so I think when people say that I, I'd love for people to know especially men I think because they, they tend to be more the ones that are like oh don't have time yeah, I, I work and the other thing I, I hear is I, I don't have time I, mean, I, I, I don't have time I work crazy hours but, but yeah. I still find time for knitting and I think it's a really important you, you've got to have I think it's important to have something especially in this day and age when we are just overstimulated all the time if you could have something like meditating or I don't know coloring in or knitting that that takes you off your device and gives you something repetitive and small and it is about those micro movements that's where the magic is for releasing the the good hormones and and with knitting that means not not knitting on needles that are more than about five millimeter like they've got to be there's a sweet spot with a knitting needle to keep it micro to, to, to get them the maximum benefit with your serotonin um everyone sort of needs that i think these mm-hmm. days unless you live on a desert island um and even then you me, still that is, your knitting and even then <laughs> yeah and i would still bring my knitting um <laughs> and and I would is, too. It, like I, I i meditate and i and i have done lots over the years and, and that comes and goes a lot more than my knitting does because because I, at the end of the day, feel guilty about sitting down and doing nothing. Mm. I just have that. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is, but I do feel guilty about that unless I'm knitting. And then I know that I'm somewhere in my head, I know I'm creating and relaxing, and then I can really let myself be in it and sit and do it for hours, which is really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, so, would you say, because I suppose I've heard quite often uh, the idea about that knitting it kind of is a substitute for meditation or a form of meditation mm. and several of the people I've spoken to and certainly I think this is probably true of me have classified themselves as failed meditators therefore they yeah. are knitters and they get a kind uh-huh. of similar thing from it I don't know it sounds like you've stuck yeah. with the knitting maybe more constantly than you have with the meditation yeah definitely I have yeah. stuck with knitting a lot more um, and and I think mainly because it doesn't do the same thing for me as meditating. Meditating is definitely much more intense, but um, I think it's more the portability and yeah. the practicality. So I can still do it at a train station and hear when my train is coming and not be completely, you know, cut off from the world. And when I when I do meditate, it, I do it to get to a much sort of deeper state, and it takes a lot longer like two or three hours and it has to be silent and I can't have the family running around and I can't you know so it's it's just I can't do that as often as I, I can pick up my knitting 10 times a day and just have mm. a little meditative break with my knitting so I think that's why I do it a lot more and yeah. and these days yarns are so much nicer than they used to be and patterns are just everywhere and so accessible it's just so much easier to mm. find the right project and in terms of what you're drawn to, do you like a variety in terms of yarn? Does that also do. something that floats your boat? Yeah, massively. So I love the super, super rustic Icelandic. Absolutely love those. 
and then I really like my super high-end silks and cashmere's mm -hmm. so I think the only things that I don't like what well, so it's important to me that I know where the yarns come from and that I know that it was ethically made yeah um and it's important to me that it was that it doesn't have plastic in it mm -hmm. um but other than that a wide variety and a wide variety of gauges but I get and I do knit with chunky yarns sometimes usually if it's just because I have to make a shop sample or I have to bang out a gift really quickly mm. um but that my sort of sweet spot for a needle is about the 3.75 range and that will give me the max pleasure mm. I'm the same actually I've heard a lot of people on the podcast who don't like knitting on the smaller gauges and I don't know whether it was because of that or just the things I wanted to knit recently I ended up knitting with some larger gauge I mean by the larger for me like an Aran weight yarn so like a five mm -hmm. maybe or five and a half I'm quite a loose knitter but my hands don't like it as much I find I'm much, I don't get RSI at all if I knitted on 2.25 or 3 or you know quite tiny needles and knitted with four ply I could do that probably forever whereas yeah. if it gets bigger even a DK I think my hands struggle a bit more and they don't it's love just, cotton you either, become much I more think. yeah yeah there's no stretching cotton no unless you get a chain knit I've recently discovered really great chain knits which is a new fairly new thing in the industry because the old chain are terrible but the new chain that they use cotton for have stretch in them and they're so if okay. you want to knit cotton get a chain it's brilliant okay um but yeah i um the bigger needles and they, you it just becomes more of a macro movement and you tend to involve a bit more shoulder and mm. elbow and things when you, it's not something that you can just do with your fingertips yeah you you fight a bit more with the process mm. yeah that's interesting um I was interested in the idea about what what the kind of things people say about knitting in the shop because you must get a lot, have a lot of conversations with people who are new or want to start knitting and super experienced knitters about whether they mm -hmm. say things about what knitting does for them or what kind of questions they ask you whether they ask for your help with color. Yeah, um, we so we get lots of feedback from knitters about how especially during lockdown like it just saved them for a lot mm. of people. Is that um, more existing knitters, would you say? No, both both during lockdown, oh, actually. Okay. Yeah, and then with the experience, well, it was more, so I'd say the majority was people that had returned to knitting. Okay. So they, they've had the greatest benefits. Mm. And they've usually come, um, and they've not done it for a long time, and they did it on really, you know, old-style needles with old yarn, and everything's moved on to such a huge extent the the tools are just a hundred percent different to, to what they used to be and the yarns. So, so they've had the greatest sort of wow moments. Mm. We have lots of people who are experiencing grief, who turn to knitting. And actually I think there's a lot of doctors that tell people that they should try knitting when they're experiencing grief. And it seems to really, really help mm. them um, just sort of metabolize it, I guess. And um, what was your, the, oh, the colors. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sort of, colours is my thing yeah so yes so I, you I enjoy having those conversations with people and that's my favorite pick. thing to do yeah that's my favorite thing to do and and it's funny how there's like so many people who feel really lost with colors or really just mm. don't trust themselves so that and then you can get colors wrong but like you can't I mean I, I physically feel actually physically nauseous when I see some color combos and I just think and it like affects me viscerally mm. um yeah and it's interesting that 
that there's a for you like you know more about the kind of mathematical formula of why because I think sometimes I probably have looked at a colorwork sweater and thought oh I'm not Mm. sure like that one you know you look on a Ravelry and see lots of versions of the same sweater for inspiration and then think oh not that one but I could never I would just feel like it was my spidey senses or something like wouldn't be able (laughs) to put science on it but that must be great (laughs) Um, yeah yeah it's great and but there's also you know like if I'd spoken so Angela was always very you mustn't put this color with this color and yes there is that but I also really love to have a disruptor in there somewhere so long as it's the right type of disruptor yeah so you don't want something that was lovely and energetic and then had had a weird sort of drab color in there that just made it all fall apart that's not the right disruptor but if you had something that was a whole bunch of um I don't know say neutrals with a pastel or something and then you chucked in one disruptive color that that just gave that piece a lot of energy that's my favorite sort of thing Mm. to do do you know my mum says that about she's like you need one she'll call it ugly color in there to make the others look great (laughs) yeah yeah but she's great with color she's so good and confident from just I don't know natural ability yeah, being artistic <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah, she's really is, good at experimenting and seeing what works and changing it if it doesn't well and that's the other thing like you've you've got to be willing to change it if it doesn't work and to make the mistakes and if you want to get good at it you've just got to keep practicing mm. and it will you'll and be open to your own sort of feedback and realize when actually no that's not good do you think yeah. you've always been so good at ripping out or tolerant of it? Because I think I've definitely got better over time. And now other people are much more traumatised watching me do it than I feel about oh, yeah. doing it. Yeah, Darren <laughs> used to be ho- horrified. I would finish a whole thing and then find one thing in the beginning where I wish I'd stuck a colour in or something. Yeah. And I'd rip it all back. But I know, yeah, I've always been totally fine because I'm a process knitter and I don't really care about the final knitted thing to own or wear it's the process so yeah Mm. very the only thing that really traumatizes me I'd say if it's trauma is um when I cut yeah I'm terrible about cutting you know where it says break yarn and and I know that I very often go back and rip things out so I beat myself up over cutting a yarn where I probably shouldn't have cut it and I should have left it attached to the ball because I, I I almost definitely always go back and then okay. I don't like ends I just don't yeah. like too many ends sure um I've knit with silks and cottons for like so much that the ends are a little bit of a trauma to me because the ends are worse to do with. that if <laughs> yeah. it was a sheepy wall you could spit splice yeah. it yeah exactly yeah I don't mind cutting those but yeah so I'm awful at having these projects with loads of balls attached because I refuse to cut anything until it's done okay (laughs) I would love to ask about a significant knitting project for you so I don't know it could be just something I don't know that feels significant in your journey with knitting or for your life um that's a good question I think for for a long time it would have been the blanket that I made for Indy when I was pregnant Mm -hmm. and that was very personal to him but I couldn't even tell you where that is now we might have lost it in hurricane I don't know I don't know where it is um so I I make a conscious effort to not be attached to anything physical mm-hmm. so that's 
so I try not to get really really attached to the actual thing but in terms of even in just the process of I don't know being somewhere significant at a time in your life while you made it Mm, yeah definitely the pregnancy ones um Mm. I mean I like I like the projects that I I mean it's terrible with it but where where you've designed it yourself I guess it means a a lot more it's than than when I'm knitting off another pattern and normally that's because I've knit it like seven eight nine times and ripped it back and knit it again just to get get it right so you spend a lot of time with it and you're a bit more invested in those projects um the ones that I design I d- I've never knit anything for Darren so I can't say that it was anything sort of massively significant that I've made for family that they hugely appreciate I knit a hat for my granddad a couple of years ago for Christmas that made him throw up immediately <laughs> terrible the beautiful cashmere hat but he overheated straight away oh no take it off. <laughs> and then he threw up <laughs> um so I remember I think, that one yeah I think some you know some people have lots of people have spoken about things they've made in significant times like for example grief has come up very often um I think for me so so it's often like I don't know the first time I knitted a sweater and actually made something that fitted me you know I knitted a lot of non-gauge determined items at the beginning I shawls and you know maybe a hat but they're kind of stretchy and more forgiving than a sweater yeah I can't even remember the last time I made a the first time I made a sweater that fit I I don't think I ever tried to make sweaters that really fits and not since I haven't really tried to do that until I had the shop mm. and I was leading knit alongs and things and I had to teach other people um that wanted to keep their knits for some reason <laughs> how to make it fit but so, have you not kept even sweaters for yourself no now? I don't keep them they're all shop samples and I get okay. to wear them so you know so I'll wear them home or, or they might sit in my wardrobe for a weekend when I'm at home and then I'll wash them and take them back to the shop and they'll be a shop sample. I don't tend to have my own. Okay. Everything really belongs to the shop and then I, and then I borrow them. Yeah. I borrow them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like we, we just. So you've we got a never so ending stream of I've new got, things to I wear have. for a weekend at a time. <laughs> yeah. As long as I'm organised enough to like, remember to take it home from the shop that night, which is like great for the shawls and things because some of them are quite dressy. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've got like a, a a big tickle trunk of possible knits at the shop that mm-hmm. I can borrow whenever I want to. But um, you know, we've recently moved to a, a boat, and again, I don't have very much wardrobe space, so no. it, I just use the shop as wardrobe space. Mm, perfect. <laughs> yeah. And you can keep on knitting. You don't have to and be keep on knitting. Feel yeah, guilty when actually, your wardrobe is full. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. And in Canada, whenever I knit, I used to give all the stuff to my mates and. And then I'd borrow it back when I was like, oh, I really want that, you know, and they all were fairly close to one another. So I'd just nip by and grab that jumper back for whatever reason. And and we sort of just shared all my knits, I suppose, and I just mm. never kept them at home. So, yeah, does it, I, I like that about knitting. Hmm. Does it bother you if people don't, I don't know, some people I've spoken about, that spoken to have said, oh, there's certain people I would knit for because they kind of get it. Like, A, how many hours went into that? be I don't know how to look after it properly mm. um if it's you know wool or something like that don't, don't just felt it the first time you wash it uh, does that bother yeah, you so, or I you mean, literally make... set them free into the world and don't think about them again so, so I won't make something for someone that's asked for something if they don't 
know what it is they're asking for okay so, and people yeah. are always asking and i'll and, you know can you just can you you know and i'll get messages on instagram or whatever from friends can you make my wife one of those or whatever and i'll be like well no because i mean i, I could but it's going to cost you 600 pounds yeah <laughs> like that's my time um well that's cheap so you've not yeah, well, that given cheap, yourself yeah. a decent hourly rate really <laughs> Um, so no I don't make stuff for people that don't get it you know if they really get it and they really want it then absolutely I'll make it for them um and if I know that they're not going to look after it and they've asked for it then they won't get it but generally if it's something that I was making anyway yeah and someone's said that they'd quite like it then they can have it and there's no no questions asked I I will mention to them they shouldn't chop it in the washing machine they won't be able to wear it very much but then if it's there's and it's gone I don't even think about it again I think mm. you know after it's gone it's gone mm. do you knit quite fast yeah. very fast yeah yeah I'm extremely fast we, we've had recently we've had people in the shop because I've not been on the shop floor as much I've been back in the office or downstairs in the packing room and I've heard people say or the girls have said then another person say does Millie really knit all those knits or does she have like an army of minions in the background making the stuff and I don't I knit all my knits myself it's important for me to experience all the yarn myself mm. but I am very fast yeah 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 and I'm small so I make the smallest size <laughs> <laughs> which really helps well don't you seem really from Instagram helps. to have produced knits that look great on a whole number of family members as well <laughs> the shorts <laughs> the shorts for everyone have I not seen yeah. sweaters on? Oh, I do. I do. Like, I do make my son wear. Yeah, I mean they are small. He didn't go out with them, but I do. He's I do very make tolerant him... of it. Oh, he's amazing. He'll that kid's amazing. He'll do whatever I ask him to do. I mean, he's just he doesn't he doesn't really care what anyone thinks. He's got no. He doesn't care what anyone thinks. Yeah. He'll just do whatever he wants. Um, but but I'll quite often put it on him because I want to see what the shoulders or the neckline might look like on a man, or how it'll fit if you haven't got boobs, or what that colour might look like on mm. someone else. Um, or does does a very soft mohair look all right on a bloke that's got a beard? That kind of thing. Mm. So so yeah, I will make the family try. You know, my dad will try on a lot of my yeah. stuff. My dad loves them, and he, he quite often gets them. They're, he's got loads of money in his wardrobe, but I never see him actually wear them after the first oh. time. So I should really take them back, but get them. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but they are small. I, I do make oversized arms. I like really long arms. Okay. So maybe that's why they get away with it. Yeah. yeah. You like to wear them? Oversized. I like to wear over yeah. overly long sleeves. Yeah. I always end with asking, what's the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life? Mm. It's it's very important. I think it's it's probably added several years to my life being Mm. able to. In what way specifically do you think? Just just in the in the calming and the you know, not being frazzled and stressed and and giving myself a stress-induced disease I think mm. you know, all that time where people think they're it's wasted knitting it's it's probably not it's probably adding that much time and then some at mm. the end of your life you know it's it's not it's not wasted time and on, I guess and I think the biggest biggest gift is that it makes me a much easier person to be around and to live with for my family because mm. I'm not totally frazzled all the time if I've got my knitting and they get some downtime for me but I'm, I'm very a type 
from always needing things to do on the console still. Yeah. But it gives them a break to just sit and chill when they know that I'm not going to bother them because I'm in my knitting. Mm. <laughs> so it does sound like it really has this regulating kind of function massively, for you. Yeah. Massively. And I notice it um, very much if there's been, if I have not picked up my needles that day or for a couple of days. Like yeah. I feel like I, I really need some time. I'm just going to grab mm. my needles and just be. Yeah. I, don't I feel like I can feel it physically as well. Like that I need to kind of have, I've, my grandma used to kind of slightly sneakily still smoke and think we didn't know about it. And she, it was almost like <laughs> after she'd eaten her dinner, she'd get a bit kind of agitated and feel like she needed yeah. to smoke. And I felt exactly the same about my knitting. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely there's, the there's times where you just feel a bit antsy and a bit up and you just like right let's just go sit over there grab something and just calm down for a while mm. so I think that's the greatest greatest gift is that you've got a tool that allows you to have instant stress relief and you can take it anywhere you go and it makes a lot of the more stressful times in your life like sitting in traffic you know, not when you're driving obviously yeah or, or waiting for something where you can just get more and more riled up. It makes those times the complete opposite of what mm. they would have been, which I think is huge. Yeah. I d I don't know how people I don't know how people cope. I don't know how people live that don't have anything. Mm. I did end up waiting, doing some a lot of waiting for hospital appointments a few years ago, like sometimes three hours in this particular department that I had to go back to a couple of times and everybody else had their phones and they by the end run out of phone battery. <laughs> yeah and I was yeah. knitting and I thought next time I come here if I have to come back I'm bringing extra yarn and needles because there were people mm. who were then striking up conversation about my knitting because I was the only one doing anything other than on their phone which I think makes people look unapproachable I guess if they're looking down at a phone and yeah, they were asking that, me about true. it and, and I felt so lucky <laughs> well because the other thing that makes you even more approachable I think as a knitter and as a social knitter if you're someone that has anxiety about social settings and new people is that when you've got your knitting you can have a really good mix of eye contact with people mm. and then an excuse to break your eye contact in a yeah. non-awkward way so you've always got your knitting that you can look down at but you can also look up and maintain the side mm. so there's no pressure or awkward social pressure to keep looking at the person yeah. that you're um interacting with so I think yeah. that's also why a lot of people that have that that awkwardness it's good for them when they've got their knitting and they feel like they can approach you more because you haven't got to be that in intense with them because you're yeah. doing something and it's not like you know when you're reading a book you don't want to approach that person they've got to be looking at their book to continue what they're doing yeah but you can talk to someone that's knitting and I certainly I find my concentration I'm a very uh have a very flighty concentration span I suppose like if I'm sitting in a busy waiting room I wouldn't be able to really focus on a book I don't think or on a bus whereas I totally could knit Definitely. um but I wouldn't have enough focus to just read I don't think and and when I'm in a like uh, yeah I'm either not into the book enough and I'm not focused because I'm concentrating on other stuff and have to listen to my stop or I'm so into my book that I'm going to miss my stop mm. so yeah I don't yeah so mm. again well when I used to get on the little bus in the Caribbean that took me down to a boat that was fine I could read because you know everyone else on the bus would tell me when, when it was time to get off and stop <laughs> and I'd be you know it stops here and that's fine and I used to really get into a book then but but that's yeah 
That's not going to happen in London. That's not going to happen in London. <laughs> no. No. I haven't got any, anyone that's going to... I mean, I guess you could ask the person next to you. Can you just tap yeah. me when it's such and such stop? But you, we don't do that, do we? No, we don't. No, should be more Caribbean in our attitude. But mm. um, you wouldn't see the same people every day, that's for sure. No, um, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, and interesting that you said, uh, you know, the more senior you got, the more possible it felt to knit during um meetings to help you concentrate mm-hmm. and certainly I found that as well that now I feel like I have more confidence and I think it helps that it's some stuff is over zoom like that I just don't believe humans are designed to sit down and do a six-hour training course no and not move and not I feel like if I knit it's the perfect level of my hands are busy and I my brain is available for concentrating whereas if I wasn't doing that I feel like I could almost my brain might freelance onto something even more distracting (laughs) and then actually draw my concentration away from what I'm supposed to be focusing on. It's like doodling, isn't it? It's it's like a form of doodling, but you end up with an actual 3D, possibly useful thing Mm. at the end of it. And how much, you you described yourself as a type A person, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, How much does the having something tangible that you've created add to the appeal of knitting like you said you like to finish things do you get a certain sense of achievement from I guess lots of the things we do are on a screen and you can't really see your progress you've done a day's work but it's not really visible (laughs) whereas with knitting (laughs) you have a thing you can show and see and touch (laughs) and and there's a beginning and an end I think for me that's more important than actually having the thing because I don't ever really want the thing but I like that there's a finite end to a thing mm-hmm. and you can finish an actual project and it's gone I think in my experience with knitting and all the people around me that knit it seems to be a more male um need maybe or or more important um from an actual creating point of view and having a thing that you've sculpted and made that seems to to make the boys well it gives them a lot more I've noticed that they have a lot more satisfaction about having the final piece mm-hmm. about the creation. Um, I mean, women do too, but it's very much more noticeable with the guys that they've mm. got like a thing that they've made. For me, it's it's more the beginning of the. I, I genuinely get the same pleasure out of a really great spreadsheet. <laughs> I love a spreadsheet, yeah. and if I've got one that's you know that I that I birthed and then it's finished and it's magnificent, then I I love that too. Mm. And and that's not a tangible thing. So yeah. so I know that it doesn't have. For me, it doesn't have to be something I can hold. But I, lo- I like that there's an ending. Mm. Yeah. I think one of the things we talk about, like in when we're using knitting for people who are maybe struggling with like low mood or something, it's we talk about having two types of tasks that are helpful, like something that's intrinsically enjoyable and something that gives you a sense of achievement. So even if I mm. tidied my desk, or my workspace, yes. that might not be fun for me, but I could look at it and think, oh, well done me. I did that. Um, but I guess knitting, I feel like, gives you both. And it's harder to deny progress if you can see it and hold it in your hand. than yeah. and, um, and a new learned technique. But, you know, yeah, that's yeah. hugely satisfying. That, mm. that you're learning something a lot of the time or you're coming across a new colour combo. So one of the really cool things in the shop is when you will get a bunch of customers and someone will put a yarn down on the counter that they want and someone else puts another yarn down on the counter. They happen to be next to each other and you just think, wow. Like I never would have put those colours mm. together, but like wow, yeah. you know that's 
that's completely so you're someone who likes the uncharted new territory aren't you so in the color combos but also in the techniques that that's a driver for you the learning yeah and I think that's really important as well there's a lot of people so there's different types of people and there's some people that are the perfectionists and they have to get it right and they need the finished article and that's where they derive their sense of achievement and enjoyment and there's others that are process driven um like me and then there's people where we just want to constantly be changing and learning and moving and 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 that's that's who I and I think it's really good for don't they say it's great for um cognitive function and an aging brain if you can keep learning and, yeah, and yeah. Keep introducing new yeah. new skills and, and rebuilding all those pathways and so, I guess if you think about your past like you didn't get to be was it CFO and <laughs> work with Richard Branson unless you were a high achieving ambitious person and I guess all of that drive is in you somewhere and it's going in your knitting and learning new techniques yeah there is that but also as an accountant I'm a very outside of the box you know create I'm not a creative accountant in the bad sense but I am an outside the box accountant that that is driven uh, I look at different things with performance and, and holistically as a business as a whole so my style of accounting accounting really worked for him in that in that business and the way that I will lead a team is like that and it is also the way that I approach my knitting so whereas Darren my husband is an accountant but he's a much more detail driven mm. in the weeds accountant and he doesn't, you know, doesn't have an interest in knitting and things, and, and and wouldn't know where to start with creating a project or chucking colours together because yeah. that's not who he is, and and he wouldn't actually would stress him out. Yeah, I sometimes say, "Do you watch the give this colour and this colour?" And he's just like, "Just don't, I don't even, you know." But um, that creativity is a driver for you. Yeah, the creativity yeah. is a driver for me. But I recognise that with some people, unless they've got the formula and the pattern and it's written out and then they, they the predictability of how the colours will work, they'll get really stressed out about mm. it. But but once that's been taken care of, then they, they find it equally mm. um, e- equally enjoyable to sit and knit. And actually, that's amazing, isn't it? That knitting could be a great task for both different types of people with very different... Um, I don't know, cognitive needs, we could call it, I suppose, Definitely. or mindset and that, that yeah, I think you can get your needs met in your way, being more creative. Yeah, so so that's, yeah, very interesting. And, and, and that's why I think this, that it, it's so good at bringing together all the different types of people. You know, you don't have to be a particular type of person to enjoy knitting. You can pretty much be any background and any type and your brain can work in any, any way. You could be someone that has to be predictable and methodical or someone that likes the chaos like I do yeah I'm sure I like the chaos but then I really like the order and the maths of mm. knitting so yeah yeah it all works are you running um knit nights aren't you at Tribe and are they uh, yeah virtual? So at the minute they're on they're virtual yeah, yeah but they were in person for a while weren't they, they were yeah they were. is there anything that surprises you about the conversations that come up that feels different about the kind of conversations people have while they're knitting compared to I don't know if people were in a pub or a restaurant or I mean we talk a lot more about yarn yeah <laughs> sure patterns and things because uh, I guess many of the people don't know each other or do many yeah. of them it's a lot come? easier to sit in a group when you've got your knitting than yeah say if you're all sat there in a circle with nothing <laughs> yeah. each other. um so I think yeah we and we get new people all the time every week we've got at least one new person um and and that's great uh, like we've all got something 
that unites us all, but we all recognise that we're extremely different. And on our virtual net nights, we're global all over the world. We've got people in um, Finland and Australia and the States and Portugal and like from all over the place in different time zones on this one sort of call. And yeah. that's nice. Yeah. And and we're all knitting very different things with different colours and different things. Mm. And we can all appreciate what the other person's making. Mm. I think that's another thing, you know, when you were talking about the idea of being able to regulate your eye contact when you're knitting. I guess the other thing is you do just have an automatic topic of conversation, even with non-knitters, <laughs> when they talk to you on a bus or something. There's yeah. a, it's in a way less awkward. Yeah, it's like they can ask you about baby. your knitting or so having a cute baby. I mean, that was always, you know, yeah. you've always got people that will come and talk to you if you've got a cute dog or a baby yes this it's is true kind of like that was it. i mean yeah. for, for ages we were thought of as really weird i was a closet knitter for a very long time in my childhood because it was not cool yeah to be knitting like it just wasn't you didn't tell anyone you did it but it is cool now I, yeah it, it's it's kind of fine it's a little bit fringe but it's fine hmm. yeah i was certainly i mean i didn't always knit sometimes there's doing other things like cross stitch and I don't think I realized how much I needed it for my kind of mental well-being but I was always a kind of get my revision done quite early and then the night before exams I'd be secretly in my bedroom cross stitching because obviously if you did that openly people would be annoyed at you that you'd finished yeah. revising but I just get to the point where I'm done like psychologically I can't cram any more into this brain now mm -hmm. I'm doing something else but I feel like it almost mm -hmm. opened a different trapdoor in my mind, they're doing something rhythmical with my hands it allowed the revision to percolate in a way, I felt. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I used to, I, and it was a reward for me as well. Mm. I'd, get, I'd get a whole bunch of revision done and then allow myself to go knit a few more lines because yeah. it was just so good. Yeah. yeah. And I think, I know some people would reward themselves with a cake or something, mm. you know, something or a cigarette or something yeah, when they got to the, but I mean like knitting is a super healthy way of rewarding yourself to, yeah I guess with hindsight I relearned actually my mum insisted I learned when I started my doctorate in clinical psychology because she wanted she thought it was a good thing to do and it did turn out to be the perfect thing for like revision breaks I was knitting a big shawl so they had rows and you could do mm. a row or two rows and then there's a finite end to your break <laughs> and yes. then you go back to the books yeah yeah you do have to be disciplined enough to say I'm not going to just do one more row which yeah or when you're yeah. knitting in the round it's even harder <laughs> yeah the yeah. rows are less finite <laughs> definitely yeah well Millie it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you so much thank for you. joining me on the podcast um if people want to find out more about you or tribe how would they find mm -hmm. out more um Probably through the Try Beyond's website, trybeyond.com. And then I do send out a newsletter, which tends to be long and has a lot in it. Um, but I only do that sort of once every month or every six weeks. I'm not very good at sending that more often than that. So subscribe to the newsletter um, mm -hmm. and follow me on Instagram at Try Beyond's Life. There's always lots of pictures of me and my family on there. <laughs> in beautiful Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the why i knit podcast if you'd like to find out more about therapeutic knitting you can follow me on instagram at knitting is therapeutic or at my website therapeuticknitting.org if you're enjoying the podcast i would really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and a review on your podcast app 
this will help grow the podcast and let more people know about the therapeutic benefits of knitting. And don't forget to subscribe too. Thank you. Thank you.